We're going to get into the Word of God. Before we do that, I would love to pray. It's important when you open the Word of God, I encourage you to pray because we don't want to get words from a piece of paper. We want revelation that comes. And when we invite the Spirit of Revelation to come, He comes and He speaks truth to us. So let me pray. Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation, we invite you this morning to be speaking truth to us. We want your truth from the Word. We have no agenda this morning other other than to get your truth and your heart from the words that you spoke, Jesus. So Jesus, we pray that the words that we're going to read that we would understand your heart for why you spoke them. We just greatly desire you, Jesus. We desire you, Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we read this word that Jesus spoke about you, that we would understand your heart for us. Spirit of truth, I pray that you would correct any errors in our thinking any lies that we believe. So we turn our affection towards you, we turn our attention towards you. We are looking and gazing upon you as we hear your word and your truth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you missed my message about six weeks ago, I shared with you a tool of how to unpack this All of us have access to the Bible, whether it's through your phone or you've got a hard copy. It's easy to read this and for it not to make any sense. There's lots of confusing parts in here. But what I've found for my own life is that if I get a couple of tools that helps me to understand it, the truth and understanding that comes from it is so much greater through one of those. So one of those tools I shared about six weeks ago was about crossing the bridge. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back onto YouTube and watch the message It's a helpful tool that I've found, an even more helpful tool that I've found for my own uh, time in the Word, and especially as I'm preparing messages, is one of the simplest tools I've ever been taught, and that is to ask questions. To ask questions, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But if I think of what a great teacher Jesus was, if I think of who would be a great student to Jesus... It would be someone that is interested in what is being written or what is being spoken by Jesus and someone that asks questions to clarify. I'm sure we've got lots of teachers in this room. The greatest students are the ones that ask questions because they're eager to learn. And so what I find is that when I get in the Word and I ask questions of the Lord, He answers me because He is a great teacher and it's His delight for me to be inquiring of him and to be interested in what he has to say. So, of course, as a great teacher, he's going to respond to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack Luke 15 today. We're going to mainly focus on verse 11 onwards, which is called the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Maybe it says in your Bible. That's what we're going to do. Now, as we are reading scripture, as I said, it's important that we ask questions. So, If I'm going to read a passage, say from verse 11, what are some things that we need to know before we read it? Who's speaking? Ten points for you. What's something else we need to know? Who is speaking to? We've got the the model pupils in the front row here. (laughs) And then what's one other thing? It might, might not come to mind. 
culture, yeah, that's important, which I guess we get a context of who he's speaking to. Another thing that we need to know is what has been said before. That's right. So we can come and I could grab any verse out of here and I could take it to mean something that was not the intention if I read the verses before it. So it's important when we look at the context of what's going to be from verse 11 onwards that we look at what was before. So those three questions we just talked about, first, who is speaking? Now, if you've got a Bible like mine, everything that Jesus says is in red. And in this passage of Luke 15, it's full of red. All right, so Jesus is speaking. That's an easy one for us, okay? Jesus is speaking. Now, who is he speaking to? So let me read the verse. If we have to go all the way back to verse 1 to understand who Jesus is speaking to. And it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Please read along if you've got it, or if you've got it on your phone, please open it up. I'd love you to be uh, reading with me. I'm actually reading from the NIV, but you can follow along in any translation you have. So now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This one is quite easy for us to get. It explains it who Jesus is speaking to. So he's speaking to first tax collectors and singers. Jesus loved to hang around tax collectors and singers, sinners. So and singers, he loves singers too, <laughs> doesn't he? Like he was he was here with us because he loves singers. And so those sinners and the tax collectors were there. And now the sinners and tax collectors, they generally speaking, they were Jewish people. So they were Jewish people that had fallen away, either. They had maybe followed in their early years, maybe uh, they'd gone to like Torah class and things like that, and then they had fallen away and they chose the way of the world. So that's some of those sinners. Some of the people he was speaking to probably were born into the Jewish line, but actually their family and the families before them actually never followed the law. So we got people that may be born into uh, being a Jewish person but never followed, and then highly likely we've got Gentiles there too. So we've got people that don't, weren't born into God's people, the Jewish people. They never learnt the Torah. They never followed the law. And so we've got those groups of people. And then we've got the quite opposite end of the spectrum in terms of the Jewish people is these Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So the Jewish people would look up to these people as the ones that had not knowledge, the ones that they had access to... Um, the scriptures, they're the ones that read it out. They're the ones that had the interpretation. So that's who Jesus is speaking to. And so if we bring that into a now context, um, it was a great question that Bethia asked. I saw her here before, um, which was, it, does it apply just to Christians that have fallen away or does it apply to non-believers too? And I think it actually applies to both. I do believe that all of us are created to be in the family of God, whether we realize that or not. That's like the Jewish people. So whether they followed the law or not, they were created in their family line to follow it. And I think as in the New Testament, Jesus opened that up for everyone. So I think this is to those that have never known Jesus, but also maybe those of us that have followed Jesus in one way or another and fallen away. So that's the context of who he's speaking to. And the third thing is what has already been said. Now, You've probably heard, if you've been around churches for a while, you've probably heard this passage preached a number of times about the parable of the lost son. I think I've preached on it before, not here, 
But what I found is that when I started to use these questions and look at the passages before, I think it actually changes quite a bit our understanding of the parable of the lost son if we understand the two parables before that. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to flick through them and give you a a brief snippet of it, and then we can get into the main passage. So I'm going to read from verse 3 if you follow along. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I love this passage because Jesus just explains it straight away rather than leaving us in confusion. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now we're going to read from verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As I said, I like to ask questions, so I start inquiring of the Lord. Interestingly, the first question I asked is, God, why would you care so much about the lost, almost to the detriment of the rest? If you think of the shepherd in the hill country, he leaves the 99 in the open, unprotected, in his pursuit of the lost. So I asked the Lord, why would you care so much about the lost in that way? And unfortunately, he responded with a question, and he said, why would you not care? It's challenging, because I think as Christians, we focus on the 99. That's what we do. We prefer to be there. It's more comfortable. It's more convenient. And I think we focus on maturity, often to the detriment of the lost. And we're trying to build up a maturity to be seen or to maybe get a platform or we share the revelation we're getting with Scripture or we share the amount of time I'm in prayer every day or the amount of time I'm reading the Word. And we're trying to look apart to everyone else rather than maturity when it comes to Jesus, which was actually about reaching the lost. If I think of Jesus and his disciples, I really feel the weight of the Lord on this. If I think of Jesus and the disciples, they develop maturity. Jesus said before he left, he said, like all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That was his mandate to the disciples, his mandate to us. So in that, make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey everything. So we've got reaching the lost, and we've got maturity. The whole point of Jesus' time with the disciples was that so that they would reach the lost. He wasn't getting to them to be mature so they would have a a deeper intimacy with God, or that was a byproduct of it. He wasn't getting them to understand and to heal the sick so that they would be seen as favorites in the kingdom. It was so that they would reach the lost. And so sometimes I think as believers, we focus on maturity 
so that we would feel better about ourselves or feel closer to the God, but we forget that maturity in the kingdom is not about looking like Jesus, but about acting like Jesus. And so he's calling us actually to go and reach the lost. So I think the most mature amongst us is the ones that are reaching the lost to the greatest degree. And now, I think I do that way better than I did, but when I read a verse like this, that I would, to the detriment even of maybe my maturity and things like that, or to be seeing as mature, I don't think I have that degree. And when I read this about the pursuit in a way that, like even the woman, she's like turning a house upside down, that it matters so much about that lost person. And I think that's the conviction that the Holy Spirit gave to me as I was reading it. So it's important that we ask questions. So now I want you to understand, it is that focus about the lost that brings us in to the passage about the lost son, okay? The desperation for the lost, that's the focus that we bring into it, but also the celebration of heaven. How much are we celebrating the lost coming home? It's cool. What we do is it's cool, hey, you've given your life to Jesus, come in now, get to work and earn your place in the family, rather than, Lord, let's just celebrate. Like the heavens are celebrating, the Lord is celebrating, why aren't we celebrating? All right, so we're going to get into the lost son. It brings us into verse 11. Now, normally what I would do is I would read a passage. I would then look at the main characters. So for the sake of those that have already read it, can you tell me who the main characters are? Maybe not the front row here that knows all the answers. (laughs) Anyone else? Yep. Anyone else? I think the servant's a character. Now, the reason I think that is because I think it's important that we just take whoever's there. We can dismiss it later and think, oh, that's, that's peripheral to the story. But I'm going to leave the servant in there. Let's dismiss the fattened cow for now. Let's dismiss the young goat, okay? But there is something important in there which we might cover. So we're going to look at those four characters. So as I'm reading this passage, it will take about five minutes or so to read it through. Read it through with you, but thinking about those four characters, the father the older brother, the younger son, and the servant, I want you to think these two things. What did Jesus want me to learn from these characters? So Jesus was intentional behind everything he said, so he chose to use these people for a reason. Interestingly, we'll see, he could have easily dismissed the older brother, superfluous to the story. He could have dismissed the servant in there. He didn't need to include those things. And so what did Jesus want me to learn from these characters, and how does this apply to my life? Make sense? So have that focus because at the end of me reading, you're going to share with the person next to you one thing that you took away from it, one thing you learned, one thing the Lord told you. We're just going to share for a minute, okay? So we're going to read from verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, you get that picture of the movie where it's like, dum, 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 and you hear like what's happening in the background. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. All right, I'm just going to give you one minute. Share with the person next to you one thing that you took away, maybe 30 seconds each. I want to hear talking. Nice and loud. Let's go. Right, 20 more seconds.
All right. Was that great sharing with each other? Was there something that you maybe took out of the passage that maybe you hadn't before or God hadn't revealed to you? There's so much in this passage. So I'm going to share some of the things that I got out of the passage. I would love for this instead to be just a small group that we can bounce off each other. And with the number of people here, it's a bit difficult. So I'm going to share the questions that I asked and maybe the things that God seemed to reveal to me. So what can we learn from the younger son? That's really the first main character that we see. What can we learn from the younger son about our relationship with God? So this is a story about us and God. The father represents God. The younger son, the older brother, even the servant can represent us in different ways. And so as I read this passage, I'm trying to work out, well, what does that mean for me? Because scripture is pointless if I'm just trying to work out what it said there, then and there or what happened in that passage if I don't apply it to my life. Scripture is supposed to be applied to our life. And so as I ask this question, what can I learn from the younger son about my relationship with God? These are some things. Being a son is a choice. I get to choose whether I'd be a son. And interestingly, it was because of the love of the father towards me that I get to choose to be a son. I get to also choose if I'm going to be an orphan and I'm going to leave the family. It's a choice. Love gives choice. And so the father in this story gave a choice to the son. And you would think, why would the father give the son his inheritance up front, knowing that he was going to go and waste it? The father knew that the son was going to go and waste it. But the love of the father to the son allowed the son to make his own choice. And so he chose not to be a son. I can choose to belong or I can choose to leave. Now, interesting, it was the selfish desires to go his own way. That's what creates separation. And that's the same for me. The separation I have from God is my own choice. I can choose the way of the world. I can choose sin. Sin is separation. So I can choose to be separated or I can choose to come and follow the Father, to follow God in the way that he has determined is best for me. It's a choice. And what happens is this son then leaves and he squanders his wealth and it gets to really a trigger point. And I found as I've journeyed with people, even in my own life, it's a trigger point that happens that turns us back to the Father, that turns us back to God. Either both for those that have never known God, generally something happens that turns them back to God or turns them to God, or someone that's maybe followed God for a while and turned away, and things have happened, and they've turned away from God, and it's generally a trigger point that happens. Often that is desperation, hopelessness, trauma, disconnection. It's those pain points that drive us back to the Lord, and you've probably gone through some of those times before, or maybe it's loss or hurt, those things that turn us back to the Father, because we know with the Father things are better. And if I think of some of those people that I've just journeyed with, even in sort of youth group days or things like that, there was someone just recently at Bustleton I was talking to where I'd gone to youth group with them. It's like they turned back to the Lord because they knew things were good with him. And then they'd spent 20 years away from the Lord. And when those difficult times came, they remembered. And this is what happened with the son. So at any point as a son, even if we're disconnected from the father, we get to choose to turn back to the Lord. The other thing that brings us back in is when we desire belonging, when we want acceptance, and when we want to find identity. 
That's some things that bring us back to the Lord, because that's what we find in family. We find belonging, we find acceptance, we find provision, we find love, we find identity. We were created to be in family with God, so if we live separated from that, the only chance that we can get to live whole in our identity is to come back to the Father. So then we have the Father, that's another character that we have in the story. There's lots that we can learn from him about who Father God is to us. So the first thing, as I talked about, is that the Father loves, and through love, he gives us choice. He's not this dictator God that's demanding our attention and demanding us to follow him and uh, punishing us when we don't. He's a loving Father that just allows us to make our own choice, which ends up punishing ourselves. He's a freely loving father that allows, just like in this circumstance, allowed the younger brother to go. The father in love allows separation even though it hurts. It hurts the father when we turn away from him. It hurts him deeply. Father God is not giving you the opportunity to leave because it doesn't matter. He's giving you the opportunity to leave because it does matter, that love matters. But that causes him so much pain when we leave him. And as we read from this story, he's longing for our return. So we have this father, and I get this picture that he's on this sprawling estate, and it's this house on the hill, and he's on the porch, and he's every day he's out there longing for the return of his son. It says here, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. It gives us the impression that he was waiting for the return. The Father is always willing to accept us back. Always willing to accept us back. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel just. It doesn't feel just that the younger son squandered the wealth on wild living and the moment he turns back that the Father comes running before him. But that is the Father that we serve. That's the Father that loves us, that is there on the hill waiting for our return And so if that's you this morning and you've gone away from the Lord, know that he has been longing for you since the day that you left. Father God's love and compassion and embrace isn't contingent on repentance. Now, stay with me because you'll think that sounds wrong. His love and his compassion. So what does it say here? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Even before any word of repentance happened, the father was willing to accept him back. But restoration only happened when repentance was spoken. The restoration into family, we read it here. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There's repentance. And what happens when repentance happens? The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. The robe signifies removing his shame and giving him dignity. All of a sudden, he's got dignity. He looks the part of the family. He's got the ring on his finger, which is his identity and his belonging. He's got the sandals on his feet. And I think of that as he has the ability both um, to be with the father, but also the provision to go wherever the father calls him to. He's got the provision Restoration is contingent on repentance. And I'm thankful that repentance is just a line like that. The father's not making the son earn his place back in the family. 
it was a line of repentance, of a heartfelt repentance that allows us to come back in the family. So if that is you today, and I'm going to lead us in repentance at the end, but if that is you, you don't have to earn your place back in the family. And as we'll see in a second, we can be in the family trying to earn our place in the family. What is even more surprising about the restoration that happened is the celebration that happened. He kills the fattened calf for the return of the the son. So the son squanders the wealth, wastes it all, comes back in repentance. He gets the robe on him. He gets the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet. Not just restoration. He's not just just made it back in. Now it's a celebration. And the, the significance of the fattened calf to me as I was talking with the Lord, from what I understand of fattened calf, is that they are prepared. So it's an intentional raising of this calf for celebration. So there's years of preparation, knowing that the son was going to return, that he's just waiting for this excuse to have a celebration. And so the father, I think, from the moment we leave, he's preparing for our return, for the celebration that is to come, and it's his great delight. And not just the delight of the father, but Everyone that was there, the whole family, the servants and everyone gets to have a big celebration. That's, what, that's how significant it is to the Father that we would return to him. You haven't just made it into the family. You are celebrated into the family. Then we have this servant. So it's easy to dismiss the servant, and I think it is possible that we can. But what I find is that the servant signifies what it can mean for us to be in relationship with God, but not quite in. So if I look at the servant, he was there in the family, but he wasn't part of the family. His only way he was in the family was through service. So it was through his actions that allowed him to be in a relationship with the family. Now, a servant is an orphan living in the family. And the moment he stops serving is the moment the true nature of his relationship is revealed where he doesn't belong. And so that can be for us, especially if you don't feel like you... Maybe you have a past that has defined you and you think that separates you from the Lord. And what can happen when we come into family and relationship with God, we're actually not fully in. We're actually not fully surrendered. And we come in like the younger son wanted to be, He wanted to come back and serve for his place in the family. So you and I can come here and we can sing songs and we we can do things like that and we can read the Bible, but really we never feel like we fit in. We still identify with who we were and so we serve our butts off either through diligently reading the word or getting into prayer or maybe serving it in the paradox community somewhere. And the only reason that we feel like we fit is because we're trying to pay our way into the family. We're trying to do what we need to do to get in. A servant is an orphan. A servant can look like a son because a son serves too. But they're completely different. They serve from a different place. A servant doesn't belong and doesn't feel like they belong. So that that might be you this morning, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer because we're going to be done with the servant nature. We want to be sons and daughters, not servants of the king. So it brings us to the older brother. 
interestingly, what similarities does the older brother have with the servant? This is questions. I just keep asking the Lord questions over the last few weeks. Interestingly, they're both serving for acceptance. The older brother too, it says here, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That's how he defined his place in the family was through what he did for the father. He was just as much an orphan as the servant was. They're both serving for acceptance. They're serving because they don't feel they deserve a place in the family. What highlighted this to me is that we see just after that, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Listen up. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate. You see his identity, his lack of identity, by the value he placed in himself of only deserving the young goat. He do, he, he's asking just for the lowest thing. He's like, he doesn't, he doesn't understand what it means to be a son. He under, doesn't understand that the father said to him that everything I have is yours. He's wanting the leftovers and that young goat is not the prized thing like the fattened calf was. It's the thing that's just been born. It's like, oh, just, just give me the leftovers. I don't even get the leftovers, father. And so what happens is that from a lack of identity, from like Marika was speaking a couple of weeks ago, from that orphan spirit, that we actually undervalue who we are as a son and we actually act like an orphan. So there's this older brother in the family just acting like a servant. He is an orphan too. And then we look at the older brother again. How did the older brother act towards the younger brother? Jealous, yep. What did he want the younger brother to do? We don't quite read it, but what do you think? That's right, work his way back. And I think we can do that, unfortunately. Especially when uh, someone comes into the kingdom, it's like we sort of accept them back, but it's like, oh, but you can earn your place here now. Look, or someone that's um, maybe followed the Lord for a while and spent that time in wild living and comes back and we inadvertently try and make their, earn their way back into the family rather than starting from that place of acceptance and belonging. And that's what the, the older brother wanted to do. He wanted the younger brother to earn his way back into the family. He said he doesn't deserve a place in the family. I think the older brother at a stretch, maybe us, let's talk about us. I think at a stretch, we would allow restoration into the family. But celebration, that's a whole different story. And so we, I think we allow people in just enough. But because we too can operate from the orphan spirit, the orphan spirit is like the older brother. The older brother didn't want a celebration of the younger brother because he was operating from a lack of identity. So that brings me to asking the question of the law, well, what does a son actually look like? The younger brother wasn't a son, the servant wasn't a son, the older brother wasn't a son. What does a son look like? And the Lord pointed directly at the father. The father was the only son there. He operated from the perspective of what it means to be a son. A son knows he belongs in the family, not for anything that he needs to do. He belongs. As I'm speaking this, I'm saying son, but it applies to daughter too. It's equal. A son seeks his identity from the father. The whole point of a father is to raise their son to be like them and even to go even 
greater and further than they did. The father was wanting to raise his kids to be like him. He was modelling what that meant. The son should have been on the deck that day. The son should have been longing for the return of his younger brother. That's what it means to be a son. And as that father says, look, look, my son is there, he's coming. And the father starts running. That older brother should have been running ahead of him and pulling off his robe and sticking it on him and wrapping it around him and pulling his ring off and shoving it on his finger and taking his sandals off. If I think of Jesus, who was the perfect son, he was the perfect servant. Jesus would have been doing that. He would have ran ahead and he would have given everything he had for the return of his younger brother. That's what it means to be a son. That's what we should be doing. Our pursuit of the loss, whether they've known the family or not, should be to the the detriment of everything else. That's what pleases the father, is that we would pursue the lost sons and daughters and invite them into the family. It says, I think it's 2 Corinthians, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we wouldn't count people's sins against us, against them, but we'd reconcile them to the Father. That's what the mandate we've been given is, to, to recognize people as lost sons and daughters and to reconcile people to the Father, to bring them into family. That's what the Lord is calling us to do. As I said before, the whole point of maturity is that we would reach the lost. Maturity is not the end game. Bringing people into the family is the end game that the Lord's calling us to. Jesus was the greatest son and the greatest servant. My life needs to model him. He would be the one, as I said, that would give everything. And that's exactly what he did for you and I. We just spoke about it in communion. He went to the cross for you and I. Not because we deserved it, but because he wanted to pave the way that we would come into family with him. He paid every price and every cost so that we wouldn't have to and we get to come before him. Completely accepted, completely loved as a son and not just restored into family, but the Lord celebrates us. I'm going to read these two verses again. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. So my cry this morning is we'd have the same heart for the lost that the Father has for the lost. I think this passage is far more than about the Father's pursuit of the child. Jesus chose to put all three of these parables together for a reason. He chose to include the older brother he could have dismissed. And as I put them together, I realized how profoundly our identity as sons and daughters instead of orphans affects our pursuit of the lost. That's what it's about. If we have the heart of the Father to be sons and daughters that are desiring to reconcile people to him, we would be like that shepherd that would give away everything in pursuit of the one We'd be like that widow that turned her house upside down in pursuit of that that coin that was lost. We would be like Jesus that would give our life and lay our life down and be nailed to the cross in pursuit of the lost. We need to start not just looking like Jesus from being in the relationship with the Father in the Word and prayer. That's important. We need to look like Jesus 
but actually to seek and save the lost and to hang out with those that need him. There are people... There are people going to hell because of our lack of pursuit. There are people living as orphans in pain. The whole brokenness in our world is because of it's full of orphans. If this world was full of sons and daughters that knew their place and their identity, there wouldn't be brokenness in the world. But because we have let that go, I speak to myself here too. There's people that need a loving father and it's up to us. Let's not dismiss it for the evangelist. Let's not dismiss it for the the one that's doing the crusade. Let's not wait for them to find out through some television show or something about the Lord. Let's not wait for them to appear in a dream to them. You and I, we carry the spirit of the living God within us. That's all we need. We don't need some theological training. We don't need some feel good, oh, I feel the power of the Lord, I'm going to go and speak. We don't need some revival, we just need obedience. Yeah. The Lord said, as you love me, then you obey my teaching and you do what I say and do what I do. And that's all it takes. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to, I'm going to lead you in repentance this morning. Here's a thought. If we live as orphans like the older brother, our motivation will be on maturity to get the tension of the Father's love instead of knowing the Father's love and seeking to bring others into that love. We're not trying to get the affection of the Father. He completely loves us. He completely loves you. You don't need to try and get his attention. If you can stand for me. If we have a broken identity, the lost is going to remain broken, so I'm going to lead you in a pair of repentance. That's going to take us fully and completely loved before the Father, It's going to restore our identity into family as sons and daughters. There is nothing that you are thinking of right now that is a limit for God to invite you into family. There's not one thing that you could have done. There's not one thing you could have said. There's no element of brokenness that is too much for the cross to take you into relationship. So I'm going to pray. And if if it's you, if you want to respond, if your heart wants to respond to that, I encourage you to say yes in your heart. You're welcome to use the words. So first, for those that have never known the love of the Father, for those that have been like that servant and never found their place in the family, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that brings you into family with the Lord. So I say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? I'm sorry for trying to do things on my own. And I thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross so that I didn't have to pay my way into the family. And so, Jesus, just like that younger son, I turn my affection towards you right now. And I say, I am sorry, and would you forgive me? And Jesus, I choose to make you my Lord and receive you as my Savior. And I take my place as a son and I take my place as a daughter in a family. Father, would you pour your love out upon me? I receive your love this morning, Father.